0: If you want to make a lot of money in sales, he said, don't have making money as your target. Your target, he said, is serving others. When you hit the target, he said, you'll get a reward. And that reward will come in the form of money. And you can do with that money whatever you choose. But never forget, the money is simply the reward for hitting the target. It ain't the target itself. Your target is serving others.
1: Welcome to Conversations with Connors, a NetworkWise podcast, and I'm your host, Adam Connors. NetworkWise trains and educates individuals and organizations in the science and art of networking to accelerate sales, personal development, and career opportunities. In Conversations with Connors, I talk with a variety of highly successful individuals in order to gain insights on how they built, maintain, and cultivated their relationships in order to live a life by design, not by default. My guest on this episode is Bob Berg. He's a former TV personality, an author, and an expert salesman. Bob truly gets to the heart of what it takes to be at the top of your sales game in this interview. He offers five laws to do it right, and ultimately, it comes down to not worrying about your goals, but rather the goals of the client. If you can meet the exact needs of all your clients, you'll hit your own needs in return. But I don't want to steal Bob's thunder. It sounds much better coming straight from the source. So, without further ado, enjoy my conversation with Bob Berg. Bob, I, like I said, I, I appreciate you coming on the show. And I've got to first and foremost thank Casey Haston for making this happen. I uh, Yeah, she, you were on her show I didn't know that in, in the course of uh, a conversation with Casey, she was just telling me uh, about how wonderful you are and the, the conversation that you had. And it's funny for, God, I've been hearing your name for the past couple of years, just uh-huh. Given, uh-huh. given what I do. So I'm really happy that this uh, finally happened. It's, it's uh, exciting to have you on the show. I want to talk a little bit about your book, but I, I also want to just talk about you and, and about your company and philosophies and the way that you think. Sound like a plan? Yeah, that sounds good. I'm just <laughs> going to follow your lead. All right. <laughs> well, then let's do it. So how do you decide on which shows that you go on? Now you're in a, a point in your career where you can be as picky and choosy as you so desire.
0: Really, a- as long as the show and the, the hosts are, are congruent with my basic values, I'll always go on a show.
1: I like that in the spirit of what your book is all about. <laughs> Tell me about some of your values. What's important to you and what are things that you'd like those that are listening, what would you like to impart on them? If there is like one or two big takeaways that you'd like them to walk away from today's conversation?
0: I think if they, if they can understand that, and I'm sure most of them already do, that when you focus on providing value to others, which of course is what you teach when it comes to your networking, network-wise philosophy, to the degree that you can focus on providing immense value to others, that's the degree you're going to establish those relationships that are going to result in in the mutually beneficial situations we all want. Yeah, preach on. (laughs) When did the light switch go on for you? I think there were two, in a sense, there there was a light switch moment, definitely. I was fortunately and, and blessed to be brought up by two parents who were just very giving people and people who set for me what character is about and what and how you want to treat other people i think when it came to sales it was a couple of years after i began selling professionally i was doing well i had learned sales and uh, studied sales and again had some success with it but nowhere near where i should have been and i was at the time i had just recently begun selling for a, another company a high end product and I was in a slump, I was really in a sales slump. And it was, it was you know very uncomfortable as a sales slump will be. And I remember coming back to the office one day and I must have had a disgusted look on my face. <laughs> I think it was self-disgust, not at, not at anybody else. And there was a, a gentleman there, and he was not in the sales department. I think he was an engineer, if I remember. I really didn't know him at all. He was an older guy who didn't say much. He was a quiet guy, but he was one of those people who, whenever he did say something, it was typically quite profound, right? Mm. And I, I think he saw me as sort of uh, Joe in The Go-Giver, right? Oh, so I was going to ask you if that's what <laughs> You know, that person who... That young and upcoming, aggressive, ambitious salesperson who had a lot to offer, had potential, but whose focus was really in the wrong place. So when he said to me, Berg, he was a, he was a last name kind of guy. When he said, Berg, can I give you some advice? I said, yeah, ab- absolutely. Uh, please do. And he said, if you want to make a lot of money in sales, he said, don't have making money as your target. Your target, he said, is serving others. When you hit the target, he said, you'll get a reward. And that reward will come in the form of money. And you can do with that money whatever you choose. But never forget, the money is simply the reward for hitting the target. It ain't the target itself. Your target is serving others. And that is really where it hit me, Adam. Because that's when I came to realize that great salesmanship is never about the salesperson. Great salesmanship is never about the product or service as important as as those are, of course. Great salesmanship is always about the other person. It's about the value you add to the life of another person. It's how their life is made better somehow, some way, just by being connected with you. And I think once we understand that and we approach sales that way, much like we would approach networking, Mm -hmm. I think then we're really nine steps ahead of the game in a 10-step game. And once I realized that, it really turned things around.
1: That's an awesome quote, nine steps ahead. You've got some great quotes, by the way. I've picked up (laughs) on that. There was one, I think you said, I don't remember if you said it or if it was you wrote it or something about that money is an echo of value, it's the thunder to value's lightning
0: and, and that's actually John David Mann, who's my co-author in the series, and really the lead writer and storyteller. He's, I'm a high-new author, he's a great storyteller, but he has such a way with words. And he came up with that money is an echo of value. It's the thunder to value lightning, and to, to values lightning. He said, what do you think of that? I said, yeah, yeah, I really <laughs> like it, yeah. Yeah, let's go yeah, with that. It. Yeah, that's a key. We'll run with it, yeah. <laughs> those kind of things, like he doesn't realize the brilliance he comes up with, but he like, does it all the time, yeah.
1: Yeah, that's a golden nugget. I definitely like that. So I got to give him credit. Then when I use that quote, and someone tries, uh, so he'll get the footnote, not you. Or, or do we
0: share? It? Say Bergman or Mannenberg or, or Jobelyste. Doesn't really matter as long as it gets
1: out there. As long as we get the message out there. I agree with what you're saying, and I would even question that it's for sales and it's just
0: relationships in general.
1: Why do you think most people aren't doing this?
0: I think it's the way we're we're brought up to see the world most people's idea of business is what they see on TV and the movies. And typically it's not a pretty picture the way people are portrayed. Randy Gage, who's a great speaker and writer and leader on on abundance and prosperity, he does this fantastic vignette about how if you ever watch a movie, a major selling movie, there are generally two people who are portrayed, two different types. There are the good people who are typically portrayed as being poor, but happy, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And they're, but they're always being stepped on, stepped over, stepped around, taken advantage of, pushed around by who? The wealthy, the rich people, the evil rich people who are Mm -hmm. mean and nasty and cowardly and have no soul. And he he does this brilliant vignette about where he goes through some of the movies and, and goes through those scenes. But really, it is how when I was growing up uh, on on TV with the show was Dallas and J.R. Ewing was the prototypical evil capitalist who took advantage of everyone. And this, unfortunately, and if you, I was going to say, read the papers, I'm not sure how many people even do that anymore. But if you (laughs) read or watch or listen to the news, however you do, and you listen to conversation, that's really in vogue. That if you're the, the wealthy people had to have done it in some nefarious way by taking advantage of others and Yeah, and it's a big world. There's, of course, lots of people and people do bad things. But by and large, especially to the degree that you operate within a free market, meaning no one's forced to buy from you. And I guarantee that you and me and everyone listening to this, I guarantee that's exactly how we operate. No one's forced to buy from any of us. The only way you can make a lot of money is to provide immense value to the lives of many people. There's no other way. Uh, Remember, people aren't going to buy from you because you have a quota to meet. They're not going to buy from you because you need the money or even because you're a really nice guy or gal. They're going to buy from you only because they believe they'll be better off by doing so than by not doing so. And madam, that's the only reason they should buy from you or from me or from anyone else. So what that means is the entrepreneur, the salesperson, they must place their focus on that other person yeah, um, yeah
1: that, that's the key yeah I, I agree and you just reminded me of another quote i don't know if it's yours but it's uh you get paid for your value not for your time
0: and, yeah i think jim Rohn may have said is that, that. jim Rohn, that could be he's got some yeah. good stuff out there oh he had some amazing work that he did uh yeah.
1: Yeah. So speaking of, you've already named a couple people that sounds like you and I are reading a lot of the same books. Who are some of the other people that you're reading, following, getting some of your knowledge from?
0: It's been a certainly an ongoing process over the last 40 years. I'm 62, and I guess actually, yeah, about 40 years. <laughs> and so it started out with Zig Ziglar and Tom mm-hmm. Hopkins and then Brian Tracy. And of course, I... I read many of the same books I'm sure you have, beginning with How to Win Friends and Influence People and Thinking mm-hmm. Real Rich and Psycho-Cybernetics. And-
1: I'm not familiar with the Psycho... Can you say uh, it one more time? I'm writing it down.
0: Yeah, Psycho-Cybernetics was a book that uh, was published in 1960. It was by a, a guy by the name of Dr. Maxwell Maltz, and he was actually a plastic surgeon. His work ended up being an understanding, really the way the mind thinks, the way we see the world, I guess you could say. And it was about our belief systems, our subjective truths, the way we understand the world to be, and how many people keep themselves from success in certain areas because it doesn't match their view of the world. And it's only by changing that part of our thinking, that we can actually change the results. So it was really one of the most brilliant books I ever read. It's not a difficult read. A psychocybernetic sounds, but it's, yeah. it's mind and Burnetics I guess, or ernetics is machine. So mind, machine, that the mind is a machine and how we program it is, or how it gets programmed before we're <laughs> before we're able to have anything to do with it is what gives us our belief system about the world. But we also have the choice to reprogram it to match what we really want.
1: First of all, great uh, way to articulate that book. I could have read it like just yesterday and probably not been able to give as much of a download as you just did. So kudos on that. Something that's also I I find interesting, I'm sure this will resonate with you, you're dating people that go back a while and all the stuff that people are talking about today, a lot of the same principles are, it's just all the same. It doesn't
0: change much. No, I think the principles stay the same. And whether you're reading the, the Stoics, from a couple thousand years ago to reading something like Peace, Power, and Plenty by Orson Sweat Martin in 1900, or Benjamin Franklin's The Autobiography written around 1750. What you really find is that the principles hold true. They never change. It was the same when John and I came out with The Go-Giver. The book, fortunately, took off very quickly. And so a lot of... Um, media when they would interview me and ask, so what is it about this book you guys wrote that, what is it about these principles that are so new? And I said, absolutely nothing. <laughs> and, you know, they're not new at all. We've made, given them names, the names of the five laws, and and we expressed it through a story, but there's certainly nothing new in the principles at all.
1: So based on that, are, are you burnt out at all about talking about the book,
0: or you want to talk about it a little bit? No, I never mind talking about (laughs) the book. But you know, we have four books in the Go Giver series. Three of them are parables. So the Go Giver, and then the Hmm. the Go Giver Leader, and then the last one was the Go Giver Influencer. Those are all parables. The second one, though, Go Givers Sell More, is the only one that's not a parable. That's more of a, a practical application to some of the principles in the original book. So I've been promoting these books for since we've been writing them. And I never get sick of them because, and maybe I would get sick of them if it was other than the fact that it's new audiences and people who maybe haven't heard the message. And but I feel committed to get this message out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I think that's what makes it so I don't get tired of it. Otherwise, I probably would, because how you know many times can you talk about the same thing? <laughs> yeah, that's,
1: what, that's what I was wondering. But I like that. Again, you're mission driven. When you've got that kind of purpose, you're doing this for a, a higher value so and you're providing more value so and in, in, in tune everything else will follow yeah. again for those that aren't familiar i, I think a lot of people that are, are listening probably are familiar with you and your book but if you don't mind just giving it maybe a quick synopsis first day of my new tongue of the five laws of the stratospheric laws of success i know they yeah. value compensation influence authenticity and receptivity or is
0: it recipro- uh, I, I uh, Receptivity. yeah and um, yeah, and they're, they're, of course, based on the premise that um, shifting your focus from getting to giving, and when we say giving in this context, we simply mean constantly and consistently providing immense value to others, understanding that doing so is not only a more pleasant way of conducting business, it's actually the most financially profitable way as well. And so the, the five laws, the first one, the law of value, which says your true worth is determined by how much more you give in value than you take in payment, which sounds counterintuitive when you think about it. Give more in value than I take in payment? Isn't that a recipe for bankruptcy? <laughs> and so we just have to understand the difference between price and uh, value. Price being a dollar figure or a dollar amount, it's finite, it simply is what it is, it's the price. Value, on the other hand, is the relative worth or desirability of a thing, of something to the end user or beholder. In other words, what is it about this thing, this product, service, concept, idea, what have you, that brings so much worth or value to another human being that they will willingly exchange their money for it? Again, a free market. They'll willingly exchange their money for this value and feel great about it while you make a very healthy profit. And this could be something as simple as, an accountant who charges you $1,000 to do your taxes and $1,000 is her fee, her price. But she saves you $5,000, saves you countless hours of time and provides you with security and peace of mind of knowing it was done correctly. So she gave you over $5,000 value in exchange for a $1,000 fee or price. She gave you more in value than she took in payment. You feel great about it, but she also made a very healthy profit because to her, it was worth releasing out her time and expertise in order for that $1,000. So both parties came away a winner.
1: Yeah.
0: So that's the the law of value. The law of compensation takes it a step further and says your income is determined by how many people you serve and how well you serve them. So where law number one says to give more in value than you take in payment, law number two tells us that the more people whose lives you touch with the exceptional value you provide, the more money with which you'll be rewarded, which obviously just makes sense. Uh, Law number three, the law of influence says your influence is determined by how abundantly you place other people's interests first. Again, counterintuitive. So it's important that it's understood that when we say place other people's interests first, we don't mean that you should be anyone's doormat or a martyr or self-sacrificial in any way. It's simply understanding as Joe... The protege in the story learned from several of the mentors, the golden rule of business, of sales, and for you know 40 years, I've been saying of networking, is that all things being equal, people will do business with and refer business to those people they know and trust. And there's simply, and of course, this year an expert on this topic, there's no faster, more powerful, or more effective way to elicit those feelings in others than by genuinely moving from an I-focus or me-focus to a focus on them. Yeah. Law number four is the law of authenticity, which says the most valuable gift you have to offer is yourself. Deborah Davenport, in this part of the story, she shares a very important, important message she learned, and that is that all the skills in the world, the sales skills, technical skills, people skills, as important as they are, and they are very important, they're also all for naught, unless if you don't come at it from your true authentic core. But when you do, when you show up authentically, and when you show up as yourself, day after day, week after week, month after month, people feel very comfortable with you. They feel good about you. They feel safe with you because they know who they're getting. This is when they begin to know you and like you and love you and trust you and want to be in a relationship with you and want to refer you to others. And law number five, the law of receptivity, says that the key to effective giving is to stay open to receiving. Mm. So it's, yeah, it's breathing out, but also understanding that we breathe in, breathe out carbon dioxide, we breathe in oxygen, we breathe out, which is giving, And we breathe in, which is receiving. And contrary to so many of those messages we were talking about earlier that we receive from the world around us about prosperity, very negative messages, the fact is giving and receiving are not opposite concepts. Mm. They're actually two sides of the very same coin and they work together in tandem. So it's not a matter of, are you a giver or a receiver? No, you're a giver and a receiver. But what when of course is as, as you teach, the giving comes first. You focus on giving value to others in your network. And yeah. the money or the connections or the referrals or the business, what have you that you receive is simply a very natural result of the value you've provided others. Yeah. There's my overview. <laughs> That's a, a great overview.
1: <laughs> God, I wish you could teach my stuff and do it much better than I do. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So a big question that I get often and uh, something that I notice to be a big challenge with individuals is what is their value? A lot of times people take for granted a lot of things that they're already bringing to the table. And not only that, how do they share that value? Any advice?
0: Yeah. So there are a couple things. The first one, which is of course, very important is how do you recognize your own value? Because if you don't, and you really don't understand the... I think we have, as as human beings, we have two types of value. We have intrinsic value, which just simply means by just by being, we have value. But we also have what I call market value. Mm. And I define market value as that combination of strengths, traits, talents, and characteristics that allow you to bring and give and communicate value to the marketplace, to others in such a way that you will be rewarded for it. Now, key to this is really embracing that market value, those strengths, traits, talents, what have you. And sometimes, and you made a great point, we don't really recognize them. We don't place high value on them. And the reason is because as human beings, we see the world from our own, as we talked about earlier with Maxwell Maltz's work, we see the world from our own model, if you will, from our own viewpoint, from our own set of truths. So we think other people see the world the same way. If we can do something, well, so can everybody, right? Mm -hmm. And so if we don't really recognize and then embrace those unique assets of value that we possess, we're not going to be in a position to be able to communicate them. And and we're going to end up, this is why people end up undercharging because they don't value themselves and what they bring to the table highly enough to be able to communicate their work, their value at a higher fee. And that's okay. very important. Now when you say, how do you communicate that value? Let's assume first that we do know it, that we do understand it. Okay. And that's our value as well as the value of our product or service. But we have to always remember, and this is so very key that value is always in the eyes of the beholder. Mm -hmm. It's not what we value about our product or service. It's not what we think they should value about it. It's what they value about it. And the only way we can ever understand this and know what it is they value is to ask questions and be willing to really listen. Because most of us, even when we listen through our belief system. And we tend to believe what we find to be of value is what others will find to be of value. That's why when you have a salesperson who has certain, there are certain benefits about the product or service they sell that they really love and really believe in, that's fine, but does that really matter? (laughs) It's what the other person finds to be. So if you don't take that into consideration, the only people you're gonna be able to, to actually help are those who already see value the same as you do. Yeah. Okay, so we've got to be able to I mean, really, when you think about it, what is sales? By definition, sales is simply discovering key discovering mm-hmm. what the other person wants, needs or desires and helping them to get it. But how can we know unless we ask questions and then really listen through mm-hmm. their ears?
1: Yeah. So this isn't, maybe this is a little off topic of your book and what you teach, but you seem to, again, being a connoisseur and having so much success in the sales capacity, some of the biggest questions, or I should say some of the biggest challenges that the people that I've trained come across, they say is even just getting somebody, obviously you're not meeting anybody these days, but getting somebody on the phone to then to be able to share whatever value it is, or to be able to offer some of those other five stratosphere laws. Any ideas or suggestions on how they can get that initial engagement?
0: That's the, the prospecting process itself. Depending upon how you work and, and what you sell, you might have to make contact first through the mm-hmm. phone. Yeah. And when you do that, these days, it's just, it's what Art Subcheck, uh, which is spelled S-O-B-C-Z-A-K, but it's pronounced subject. He does, has a website, businessbyphone.com. And he has a a book out called Smart Calling. And he says it's the difference between cold calling and smart calling. Because if you're just cold calling and you know nothing about who you're calling, it's very hard to get someone to, first of all, to even get on the phone. But even when you do, it's difficult for them to be interested when you don't know enough to be on the phone with them. Smart calling is discovering what you need to know about your market first and about the people and companies and businesses that you call. So that when you do get on the phone, you're able to present in such a way that you're able to elicit their understanding that you have something potentially to offer them. I'm a, a big believer in Ark's work. He's just amazing. My, my suggestion is for everyone to go to businessbyphone.com, subscribe to his email newsletter. This guy is so brilliant. What's and his last name? His last name is pronounced Subcheck, but it's actually spelled S-O-B. C Z A K. Yeah, I just and, wrote that down. Uh, he's really, to me, my go to person in terms of doing business by phone. And he's great at helping get people on the phone. But, you know, again, these days you, you make certainly a lot more calls to get the same amount of people. Now, when you can do it through referral, which is something you and I both, uh, yeah. both talk about, obviously referral based prospects are easier to set the appointment with, right? You're going yeah. in on borrowed uh, influence. With the referral-based prospects, price is less of an issue because, again, there's that credibility you already have. With referral-based prospects, it's easier to complete the transaction or close the sale based on borrowed trust or really vicarious experience. And then people who you meet through referral tend to be a lot more willing to provide referrals to you because they're already of the mindset, that's how you do business since they met you. So to me, it's always an advantage when you are working a referral-based network. But, you know, there's also those times we, we still have to get out there and prospect, whether it's person-to-person, over the internet, on, uh, via phone. But to me, there's still really no better tool than the telephone to uh, be able to, in the, the quickest amount of time and effort, to be able to make those initial contacts.
1: I completely agree. The quote, you get someone to ring your horn, the sound carries twice as far. You ever hear that one? Mm, mm, mm. What a great quote. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I love that. So who are the types of people that you like to stay in touch with? And what do you do to maintain those relationships?
0: I think it depends what you're looking to accomplish with doing that. I have a complete follow-up system. Uh, I call it follow up and follow through <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> because you're really you following go. through all the way to the know, like, and trust relationship has been developed, which takes different amounts of time with different people. Sometimes it's very quick and sometimes it takes a while and, and so forth. But I think anytime you meet someone new and follow up with a, a handwritten personalized thank you note oh, there that you puts go. You, again, so way ahead of everyone else who, who doesn't think to do that anymore. And even, Before the rise of the internet, very few people, relatively speaking, did that. And it was always a very powerful tool. An actual handwritten, personalized note to say, thank you, it was a pleasure meeting you. If you met them somewhere, let's say at an event somewhere, and you've asked them questions about themselves and about their business. And to me, the one key question to ask when you meet someone new is, how can I know if someone I'm speaking with is a good prospective customer for you? And I call it the one key question that sort of sets you apart from everyone else. You could set it up by saying, Dave or Mary, I I always enjoy connecting good people with other good people. How can I know if someone I'm speaking with is a good potential client for you? And of course, people love to answer that question and and they know you are looking out for them and that your focus is on giving value to them. But when you write that follow-up thank you note, it might be you know, dear Dave or hi Mary or hi Steve or uh, however the relationship's been established. Thank you. It was a pleasure meeting you at last night's event or whatever it was. Best wishes for continued success in your work. If I can ever refer business your way, I certainly will. Best regards and then sign your name.
1: I'm with you on that. Let me ask you this. What about on LinkedIn? Do you have any uh, rules on LinkedIn for accepting the invitations or just in general?
0: I generally accept any invitation, but what I do, because I find most of them don't write a an introductory note, which they should when they do that, right? But most people don't. But I when I accept it, I typically write something back that says, hi, uh, Suzanne, thank you for connecting with me. Very appreciated. Best regards, Bob. And you'd be amazed how many times I get notes back saying, wow, you're the first person I ever connected with that actually sent me a note back or you know, what have you. Again, it's showing that those little things that we do really make a big difference. And one reason is because very few other people do them. But if you're going to connect with somebody on and, and send a connection to someone on LinkedIn, I think it's a good idea to know a little bit about them first so that you can say, again, whether it's, hi, Joanne, I would love to connect with you. Hey, I noticed that you blah, 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 blah. Sounds fascinating. Best regards, so forth. I Just that little note to show that you took some time and effort and that it was more personal than just click on button that says connect.
1: <laughs> I completely agree with you. I call it separating yourself from the sea of mediocrity. I love that. Exactly. Yeah. And and I'm I'm so with you in terms of the handwritten note, the personalization on the LinkedIn. I even take it a step further when people that have reached out to me, I actually, prior to launching my most recent business, I actually, if if it wasn't a personalized invitation, I didn't even accept. Now I've loosened up a little bit just because I'm trying to reach a greater audience, but I turn it around and I, I don't know what it is off the top of my head. I've got one that I save in my drafts. When someone reaches out to me, I say, hey, many thanks for reaching out to me. I use LinkedIn as a business tool. And feel free if there's anything that I can ever do for you that's uh, no longer than the five-minute favor, I'm happy to oblige. I would just appreciate the same reciprocity. And if that's something that you are not able to oblige to, I'm not offended if you want to disconnect. And something to that effect. But that's what I do. And it's very interesting. Some of the responses that I get or sometimes when they don't at all, which is almost, to me, almost more interesting because it means they're just catching numbers. So let me ask you something. Who is someone that I can introduce you to that would be a good contact, that if I met, that I know that I should point them in in your direction?
0: I think at this point, people pretty much find me who need me. I, I appreciate the offer very much. It's very kind of you. But, you know, at this point, I'm really a little bit more reactive in what I'm doing just because I have my things that I do that I put out there so I don't at this point actively look okay. to meet new connections 10 years ago I would have jumped at that because I was <laughs> building you know mode in that regard <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: okay. something that that I focus on with people and I'd love to get your perspective is when making an introduction so I'm a big fan of the, of the double opt-in meaning so say you did take me up on that Type of person, hey, if there was XYZ, I don't know, someone else that had another podcast or something, right. maybe you were looking to get out there. Right. And instead of me just after, you know, we get off this podcast and saying, hey, Joe Schmo, you need to meet Bob. Bob's looking to get himself out there. From my perspective, that would be a horrible introduction because I didn't get Joe Schmo's, I didn't call them first and um, I didn't ask for their permission to make the introduction. Mm-hmm. And, and and I didn't, maybe I didn't check with you and so I, I, I'm a little bit of a stickler on those types of introductions. I don't like to put people in bad positions. I think it you looks just, poorly You in.
0: get on exactly my feeling about that. And I know it's well-intended when exactly. people do that, but I can't tell you how many really nice, polite, tactful notes I've had to write to people asking them to please not do that. And that if they want to introduce me to someone, to please... And it's usually someone's wanting to, to introduce... Someone's ask either can you introduce me to Bob or they just take it upon themselves that we'd be a good and they'll write and include me. And what that does is it puts me on the spot that now I've got to, and typically the person wants to speak with me on the phone or wants to. Now, again, one person wouldn't be a big deal. Picture this happening all the time though. So when I write the note back, I always say, listen, I know you did that out of total kindness and great intent. And I so appreciate you thinking of me. Please know though that what I'd love you to do if you don't mind in the future You can always suggest someone to me, but please write to me first so I can let you know if it's something that I'm interested in pursuing. This way I won't have to unnecessarily hurt someone's feelings by not agreeing to connect with them for whatever reason that they they want. And people people have written me back and said, yeah, I absolutely get it and, and so forth. So I think once people know, but I agree with you completely, you never want to put someone on the spot and put them in an uncomfortable situation unnecessarily.
1: Yeah, and it's such a shame cuz like you said the intent is so positive. Oh, it is. It's totally <laughs> pure intent. <laughs> you know. So, I know we're running tight on time. I've got the, some of the feedback that I get on my show is there's a, a section where I ask people random questions. And yeah. and these are you and I have just been talking, but these are ones that I just have randomly written out. So, if it's okay with you, I'd love for you to pick a number between 17 and let's say 59 between 17 and 15 uh, 50 50 any significance to the number 50 before i ask you the question no all right <laughs> i think i know the answer to this one so but let's give it a shot <laughs> what's the most important thing that i or anyone else should know
0: about you the most important thing that anyone should know about me Gosh, I can't think of anything that's that important that anybody reads. <laughs> they <laughs>
1: you know? so should know to read your book. <laughs> you know, I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, um, I, I, I had my, uh, that book I thought was so powerful that I had my kids who were one's turning 12, the other ones turning 14. I, I had them listen to it. I think that it's so important. The
0: next compliment that we can ever receive when a parent tells us that they have uh, had their kids read the book. I, I think that means more, I think, because John has said the same thing. I think that means more to us than when we hear about a a corporation putting it through their entire company. We love that too. Don't get me wrong. But (laughs) parents say that they gave the book to their kids to read. There's something about that that's just fantastic.
1: You've put a gift out to the world. My wife and I were talking. I feel like if this should be implemented within the school system, I feel like this is more, I'd rather my kids reading this kind of stuff than knowing how to do a formula. Not that the for not learning the uh, formula isn't important, right. but I think it's these kinds of foundational learning that will set them up for success in life much better than uh, a, a specific skill set.
0: I appreciate that. We actually have a teacher's guide that a friend of ours by the name of Randy Stelter, who's a longtime educator at Wheeler High, he actually wrote this, and John and I then put a, a, a our well. I guess we could say edit more than anything else, because Randy did such an amazing job in writing it. But yeah, even at our site at bird.com, we have an area where if they look under books, they'll see teacher's guide. And he put this together because so many teachers were starting to actually teach the book in their classes that he put together this teacher's guide for them to sort of a curriculum, if you will.
1: That makes me happy to hear. I uh, I really like that. Let me ask you sorry, two quick questions. Oh, before. I don't know
0: about that most important thing about me that you oh, yes. want to know. I don't know. But one of those things, those facts about Bob Berg that people don't think of, because I can't really imagine anyone thinking of me when I'm not there, but uh, <laughs> that, uh, that I'm very actually introverted, not extroverted. Uh, oh. people I am. But no, I'm actually very introverted. And that's, uh, yeah. I don't know if that's important for anyone to know about me, but that's a, a fact
1: about me. So you know what? That's so interesting. And and I have another show called Who's Who in HR, where I just focus on the uh, the HR executive committee. And that's the first question I ask them. I ask everybody that same question. So it's really interesting uh-huh. that that came out. Is there
0: any questions
1: that I didn't ask you? That I? Uh,
0: oh, you said you had two questions left. I think.
1: Oh, I got a ton of questions. Those, that's those,
0: why. Those, I... <laughs> those, those would be vague. <laughs> okay, I thought, You were great. You asked all, all perfect questions.
1: <laughs> Good stuff. You know what? It's really, it's more just a, just a thank you just again for being on this planet and sharing this message. I love, I know some of them are parables, but they're just so real and they're so applicable. And as I was hearing or reading the, the book, it was just thinking of circumstances that I've had and it just each and every one of those, whether it's the value, the compensation, the influence, the authenticity, the receptivity, it just made me reflect on things that I've experienced and really reinforced what you talked about. So I wanted to thank you. And I really, I I hold you high in high regards. I know there's Tony Robbins has a quote, the secret to living is giving. Bob Proctor, who I'm sure he had, he's got a really good quote on, on giving, which is escaping me right now. But you know, it's nice to be considered with these kinds of people. So I really just want to thank you for carving out some time to make today happen, sharing your story, sharing your advice and discussing your book in detail.
0: I'm honored to be on your show. and, And I just really appreciate and I appreciate your kind words.
1: All right. Make it a great day.
0: Thanks for listening
1: to Conversations with Connors, a network wise podcast. If you or someone you know is looking for a career change, building a business, seeking to expand sales, or is just generally interested in improving your overall health and happiness, then head on over to NetworkWise.com to gain access to a plethora of resources to help you build your networking skills and community. Those who are ambitious will network. The ones who succeed will network wise.